This is Josh Mills, and welcome back to another episode of Acquired Tastings. I am very excited today because I have one of my good wine friends, Seth, here with me today. Say hello to everybody, Seth. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's super excited to have Seth here with me today as my dad, of course, is out on a beach somewhere. I think he's in St. Martin. Yeah, he's in St. Martin still. How dare he? I know. Such a lucky guy to, you know, vaccinated, traveling the world already. Just so jealous about that, but... It gives me the option to have Seth here with me today, and we are going to be talking wine. So, Seth, why don't you tell us what you brought today and what are your pairings? Yeah, so today I brought the Muscat, the 2020 Muscat from Teutonic Wine Company um, up in Oregon. So, Willamette Valley Wine. And today we will be pairing it with some freshly made guacamole, some crab rangoons from a local Chinese restaurant, and then some samosa chaat from another local Indian restaurant, and then a Delice de Bourgogne triple cream brie cheese. Very cool. And just so you know, we kind of the theme for this week is we're doing uh, late summer, early, no, late spring, early summer, <laughs> early summer wines. I mean, it feels like it should be summer already, but <laughs> yes, it's getting so hot around here. But anyway, so I'm going to be doing the... Conquila, I can never say this one right. Conquila Brut Rosé Cava from Spain. One of my favorite, favorite little cavas to buy. And then to pair with, I have some goat cheese. I have some garlic and cheese polenta that I cooked up in a little bacon fat, or not bacon fat, but brisket fat, because I was trying to fry them and it didn't really work. <laughs> so they just kind of, kind of got piled into a bowl. It and looks then, fantastic. And then I have some sous vide brisket, so it's going to awesome. be kind of a kind of a fun tasting. So now, since Dad's not here and it's a wine week, Dad left Seth what the blind was in a little envelope. So Seth, why don't you open that up and go ahead and tell us what the blind from the last one was? I remember it was it was a brown liquor, and I thought it. I think I called it a bourbon. I can't really remember. It may have just been because we were drinking bourbon that I was thinking that. But so Seth, what was it? Um, that actually was bathtub fermented German plum juice. <laughs> I don't think so. No, that's not true. No, um, actually, it was Grant's blended whiskey. Oh man! I mean, I guess I was kind of you close. were close. Yeah, much closer than I would. <laughs> All right, so let's uh let's go ahead and get into this. So we're going to be going into the Brut Rosé Cava first now, and then just as a quick reminder, the snacks we've got some brisket goat cheese, some uh, garlic and cheese polenta, and then we have some little crackers that are like a little raisiny rosemary crackers. Well, Seth, so let's go ahead and get into it. What, uh, how would you kind of describe, kind of describe this wine? This one specifically, you know, I've, I've sold this wine many years. I've been working in wine, wine for almost six years now. And the thing that draws me to it is the same thing that draws everyone to it is the beautiful, stunning color. You know, whoever was in charge of, of marketing for this, you know, they knew what they were doing. The white and the gold label, yeah. the incredible hue. It's just like you see it and you just want to put it in your mouth. Yeah. And this is, you know, this is served or they bottle it in a, a clear bottle, which is kind of uncommon in wine because you don't want the, the light to kill it. But this one, like you're saying, it's just a beautiful, like deep salmon pink, almost to like a cherry a cherry red, good bubbles on it. Poured this a while ago. It actually kind of spewed on me when I, when I opened it. it. Kind of went all over the place. So, so this is a really good one. Kind of what do you smell in it as you kind of get into it? Yeah, so first thing I'm getting is just like this overwhelming, lush, strawberry candy, watermelon candy, mm-hmm. Jolly Ranchers, sort mm-hmm. of, um, if you know those weird, I think they're Starburst brand, like the Easter jelly beans that they make. Yes. Where it's like, over the top fruit flavors right um, that is that's totally what i'm getting here like strawberry cherry raspberry just so many like different vibrant red fruits yeah definitely and you get i get kind of like a um a little bit of that like bready breadiness and i'm not sure like you know starburst or not starburst jelly jolly ranch will sometimes have that like little uh dust around the outside mm-hmm. it kind of reminds me of that extra little like kind of kick to it yeah and to me on the palate there's almost an aspect of creaminess to it. Mm, yeah. Like almost, you know, I don't know if there was maybe some sort of leash, leash time or anything with, with any of the, um, the base wines, but there's this lush, almost like, um, 
like strawberries and cream yeah. to it on the palate. Yeah, it's definitely got that nice kind of yeah, kind of creamy coat you kind of coat your mouth and kind of feel that uh, almost kind of like you said almost like cream, like a double cream on it and that strawberries and cream. That's a really good description. So, Seth, we've known each other for 3 years, 3 or 4 years now. Oh, I feel like it's longer than that. Maybe it may be longer than that. But Seth, I met Seth at a liquor store because he was he was working there and I was shopping. It's where you meet all your best friends. <laughs> it really is. Really is where I meet most of my best friends now. So Seth, you said you've been working in wine for how long now? I was I was trying to think of the math in my head. I think I'm almost at six years. Okay, I believe so. Two thousand fifteen. Yes. Fourteen, fifteen, sounds, around there. I was not a math major, but yes, that <laughs> sounds right. Yeah. So kind of what we'll go ahead and start kind of tasting through, and then we'll kind of we'll just kind of talk about you if you don't mind. My favorite um, subject. And then we'll kind of hit on the pairings a little bit, and we'll talk a little bit more about. This wine specifically, Cava and um, or General, and then we'll just kind of have a good time. Yeah. All right. So what got you in, kind of what got you into the wine industry or into wine itself? You know, I've always loved wine. Even when I didn't know anything about wine, you know, when I was, you know, 20, 21, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, you know, first really experiencing alcohol that wasn't, you know, whatever my friends could steal from their parents' liquor cabinet. <laughs> I was, um, I really loved wine. It no. Like, I didn't know that, like, the words label meant different grapes. I didn't get any of that, but, like, I was into it. It's definitely my preferred alcohol of choice in college. Right. And so, eventually, I came to live in Little Rock. I was working for an arts education nonprofit, and one of the annual fundraisers we had was a big wine dinner um, mm. that was sponsored by one of the local shops. And eventually, I was really not very happy in that job. Nonprofit sector just kind of wasn't for me. I really wanted to go into more social media marketing. Mm -hmm. So I kind of had in my mind that my first client that I was going to, you know, get to do their uh, social media was this neighborhood wine shop. I went in there, gave him my spiel. Yeah. Um, he said, that's fantastic. Um, he said, you know, do you have any other clients? I'm like, no, you were going to be my first. It's like, great. Well, you know, it's, it's about to be holiday season coming up. I need some hand uh, hands around here. Do you want to uh, just work some extra hours on the floor until you until uh, you get some extra clients? And I was like, sure, that's great. And then I think I stayed there for four and a half years. So Wow, that's cool. And so you said you were kind of just coming back to Arkansas and you wanted to get more into marketing. Is that kind of what you did before in Arkansas? Or what, was, what were you kind of doing before you got into wine? Yeah, so I, kind of a, a long story short, I was living in Washington, D.C. I was getting my, my master's degree. And then in the beginning of my final year of grad school at the George Washington University, I was actually diagnosed with stage four cancer. Mm. Um, I, through just, you know, whatever luck and happenstance, uh, one of the country's best experts in the sort of kind of cancer I had um, was here at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences um, okay. here in Little Rock. And so... I basically just moved home overnight. I was able to finish school online. Throughout the course of my treatment, I had to do six rounds of chemotherapy. But, oh, wow. um, you know, knock on wood, yeah. uh, we're, we're going alive and well in remission for, for many years now. Um, and, and I think, if anything, you know, that's kind of a, a rough story. But it really set me up in wine in a way I didn't understand. Mm -hmm. As a part of my chemotherapy, I completely lost my sense of taste and smell for... I lost it for about the span of 18 months. Wow. And then it took probably about three and a half years for it to fully come back. Wow. And then once it fully came back, I was working in wine, tasting wine, and it really let me just kind of see wine and, and all flavors and aromas just with a really fresh perspective, sort of un, unbiased by, you know, 20, 20 odd years of prior yeah. tasting. That's really, that's really interesting. I never knew that, that you had lost it for that long. And that it wasn't until you were back in wine that it really kind of honed in and came back. Cause you're a great taster. Thank you. Like you're a really good, you're a, you're a really good blind taster. I remember some of the practices that we've done when we were doing blinds a lot, like you would nail a lot of things that we would throw at you. And then <laughs> I, I promise I cheated missing. every time. <laughs> oh, even not, a, not on the zoom ones. <laughs> I mean, even at the beginning of the pandemic, when we would do, you know, listen to somebody else taste and, you know, you'd always, you, a lot of times you'd be right on the money, which is really cool. So I'm going to talk a little bit about this wine. Go ahead and start tasting a little bit. 
and then um, we'll kind of get back into it. Now, this is a cava, which means it comes from Spain. The region that this comes from is Catalonia, which is on the northwest part of Spain. And this is actually made from 100% Pinot Noir, which I was kind of surprised that it was all Pinot Noir coming from being a cava. Because a lot of times you get a lot of more native Spanish grapes when it comes to cava. And so, it, like you said, it kind of gets that really bright, that bright fruit in it. And, you know, the the name of the wine, Conquillera, is Catalonian for shell. So that's kind of why you have the shell that's on on the label there. And, you know, being up close to the Mediterranean Sea, it used to have some of that seabed. So you kind of get that that kind of crush earthiness to, to it, which kind of comes, you know, just in the Penes Valley, which is kind of west of Barcelona. So if you've ever, if anybody's ever been to Barcelona, you kind of understand that where we're talking about. And this is once again, non-vintage. Uh, sustainable farming, which is really cool to see that a lot of the farmers are working on that. I mean, most of the time in in Europe, they're doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. They're not doing it to be cool. They're not doing it to be fancy. They've been doing it for years. Yeah. Well, it's also great to see that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm able to sit here and see you looking at your tech sheet reading this, but I really appreciate just when importers will put that information on the tech sheet because right. it allows people who are sort of on the front lines, whether you're choosing wines to put on your wine list or in your retail shelf or just, you know, to feature on your podcast, mm-hmm. it allows you to make the most informed decision. Yeah. And it's, you know, like you said, it's really nice that it's there for people to see. So you've been tasting a little bit, kind of, how, what do you think of the pairings and how are things tasting? I just had the, the polenta with this and that was, I thought that was really good. Yeah. I think that is actually my favorite of the pairings. Yeah. The polenta is, it's rich and creamy, but also somehow still like very light and airy mm-hmm. and then with the wine which is also you know very light and crisp but also it does have that sort of like creaminess to the palate i think it, it works very well as a as a contrasting but it's also interesting how how similar they are in that res- retrospect yeah that like creamy kind of creamy texture of the polenta i think kind of goes really well with that creaminess of the sparkling wine as well as that the fruit it kind of reminds me of summer because, you know, around here, corn is synonymous. Mm-hmm. Corn and strawberry, are, to me, are synonymous with summer. A late spring, early summer. And you kind of get both of those flavors going on mm-hmm. with that wonderful creaminess. And you know, it's just it's really good. Yeah. I also really love it with the um, with the beef. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think it works really well. I think, you know, we always rush to say that, you know, red meat, red wine, it's a thing. Mm-hmm. And it is, totally. Mm-hmm. But I, I, you know, I will tell anyone who wants to listen to me that you know, the best wine pairing of my life was aged steak and aged Riesling. So I think that, you know, a lot of times we are too, too fast to dismiss white wine and steak pairings and especially uh, sparkling wine and steak pairings. Yeah. So was that Taylor's? Was yes. that a Taylor's experience? That was, de- that was definitely a Taylor's experience. That was. So why don't you talk about Taylor's a little bit? Because Taylor's one of those th- places around here that almost mythical mm-hmm. because it's just far enough away but yeah. well, so, a lot of people haven't heard about it either yeah well taylor's is one of those things that i think doesn't sound real unless you're from arkansas mm-hmm. because it is such a only an arkansas experience mm-hmm. um so taylor's is a is a legendary steakhouse located in the small town of dumas on the mississippi delta it's about 90 minutes southeast of little rock and their whole thing, their whole claim to fame is dry aging steaks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, you can wander in any any night of the week and you can get a, I think they start at 30 day dry aged steaks. Wow. Um, and they're priced incredibly reasonably. I think it was, I think you can usually get them for about 25 to $30. Um, <laughs> wow, you know, that, that is was, really reasonable. Yeah, ex- exactly. And then they go up from there. Um, you know, 60 day ages is common, 90 the, the steak that I always like to talk about is the one that was uh, 120 days dry aged. Mm. Truly incredible. Just so, so savory, so much umami, so much meaty earthenness. You know, it's all the, it's all the like buzzwords that we say when we talk about beef, but like it was the beefiest beef I've ever, yeah. ever experienced. <laughs> um, and then just to have that in the, the middle of a 
soybean field in southeast arkansas you know <laughs> kind of blows your mind yeah it's just not not what you expect um it's 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 a very only in arkansas experience it's really one of those places like that if you don't know where you're going you won't find it yes you last, have to know where you're going the last time i drove there i literally got stuck in traffic behind two different tractors <laughs> um you know and you just kind of have to know that you know you've got to head to dumas and you know turn at the at the crop duster airfield air yeah. yeah well and i've heard stories of like some of the big like walmart execs or stevens guys flying a plane landing at the airport getting yes. dinner and then flying home yeah absolutely that's why they have that little airstrip out back yeah so one day one day uh i'll let someone fly me down they won't get to have any of the wine though yeah <laughs> yeah so if you're a pilot and you want to have a really good steak but don't not drink yes let any, us know we'll, any uh, sober pilots listening yeah. we'll uh we'll let you know we'll let you know we'll we'll plan a big trip we'll pay for your steak and everything don't mm-hmm. worry about it so what are you doing now? Because I know you've left uh, you've left the retail space, mm-hmm. uh, which you were at for a long time, and doing kind of promotions and wine clubs and that kind of thing. What are you doing now? Yeah, so right now um, I work I work in marketing uh, full time. That's my day job. It's about time I figured I you should use that fancy degree I got. <laughs> but you know I, as always, working you know all these other jobs. I've always been a writer. I've started writing freelance. Started in 20, 2014, Um So even before. I started working in wine. I was writing different things. I wrote a lot about food for um, a large statewide magazine, wrote lots of personal profiles, travel articles. I even wrote a monthly wine column in that magazine for about three and a half years. Okay. Unfortunately, that magazine kind of closed down during the pandemic. But just this January, I started taking over the weekly wine column in Arkansas Democrat Gazette, Arkansas's big uh, statewide weekly paper. So cool. Every Wednesday, you can find my column bottle shots in the food section. Very cool. So yeah, if you're listening in Arkansas or you can find it, you can find it online, right? Yeah. ArkansasOnline.com. Yeah. So check it out. It's a, it's a really good column. I mean, this, um, so we're recording this a bit before this episode will actually come out and you just recently did last week's was Beaujolais, right? That's right. I love Beaujolais. I, I did it with you in mind. Uh, I, I love Beaujolais. I am one of those people that just, if you give me a Cru Beaujolais any time of the day, I'm happy. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to be. And well, this is, this is perfect Cru Beaujolais weather. Mm-hmm. Hot or cold. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, highs, highs are what? Seventies, low seventies. You want a little jacket. You want a little Beaujolais. Mm-hmm. It all works out. You can leave it outside, sit outside. Your Beaujolais will cool down. It's okay. So you keep going back to that polenta. I do. It's so good. <laughs> It's also just like carbs, yeah. <laughs> which like is what I'm craving absolutely right now. But yeah, yeah I think I think that and and the bubbles is is a really surprising pairing. Mm-hmm. It makes complete sense. It's not something I would have thought of, and I think that's really ingenious. Yeah, so it's it's one of those things like we had this polenta. This was actually this leftover polenta Jordan made, and that's why I was trying to make little cakes out of it. I was like, oh, it's cold. I've got this rendered down beef fat from the, from the um, brisket. I'll just I kind of pat them out into patties and start frying them. Well, that didn't work. <laughs> I started. I start. I mean, they, it sounded great. Had the sizzle and everything. Then I go to flip them and I flip it and it's like, oh, it's still pale. And I'm like, wait, that's because all the beautiful stuff was still stuck to the pan. Mm-hmm. So I kind of flipped them around, threw them in the oven with the brisket as it was kind of slowly finishing up. And just kind of made it, yeah, made it what it is. So let's talk about the the goat cheese in this because this doesn't work like I expected it to, and I don't know why. It, it is not my favorite pairing. I'm I'm actually really curious. I want to try it with the cheese that I brought, um, the triple mm-hmm. cream brie. I think that I think that might be a little more, yeah, a little more compatible. It's like go ahead and try it. <laughs> There's no rules. We don't have to wait. <laughs> this is kind of a free for all here. So, yeah, so the goat cheese, like, you know, I guess when I was thinking this, I thought that this had more acid to it. The wine had more acid to it, and it doesn't really have a whole lot of acid. So when it goes up against that goat cheese, it just kind of becomes a little flabby. Kind of makes everything feel like it's, you know, molasses rolling down a hill in winter. You know, just kind of not not happy and not surprising at all. Yeah, I, I think, you know, just having tried it with the triple cream brie, I think it works a, a, a good bit better. It definitely brings out the um, the brie ness of the brie. Okay. Um, you get sort of that like that 
twang and zing of re mm -hmm. really gets accentuated i think i think it works really nicely but i think just sort of when in doubt i always go for for brie and bubbles yeah and see i usually always go with goat and bubbles because i really haven't had that whoa that does bring out that twang mm -hmm. like it really just happened like it's halfway, a lot <laughs> halfway through the bite almost like takes it to that camembert funky mm -hmm. yeah it gets real kind of weird on the end i wonder if it, that's that like cream like the kind of that creamy feel that we were getting in the wine kind of takes over with that fattiness of the brie and just leaves the the umami funkiness i don't know i'm i'm very into it well also <laughs> yeah. there's like some the crackers i think used to maybe have is it raisins or cranberries in them or something mm -hmm. and i think that also really works with the bubbles as well so you get the tanginess of of the the brie and then you get like the extra little added fruit near the finish from the crunch of the cracker it all really works works together really nicely yeah it does but yeah so going back to the to the goat i usually go goat and bubbles and i haven't had an experience like this where it kind of just falls flat for lack of a better term that, that was surprising to me i wonder if they're like regular would would be any different and maybe it's just a little bit higher in acid because yeah. like you said this has that creamy feel almost like the pinot noir went through mallow yeah well and i also wonder if if it wasn't rosé you might get a better pairing right or you know if it was a, a you know i don't it's been a while since i've had the the blanc version of this of this wine but i just wonder you know there are some grapes that will produce a little bit more herbaceous Mm -hmm. sparkler which can maybe match that that greenness that you'll get in goat cheese right thinking of a um a really interesting um sparkling torontes that i got to try from argentina really? a couple weeks ago um that i think would would actually marry really perfectly with goat cheese tell me about that where did you have that one i need to go find that uh you can <laughs> no you can you can pick it up uh right here in town i think olooney's carries it it's about 20 21 dollars okay sparkling um, tarantas yes that's new yes it tastes about what you'd think it's very very aromatic very perfumed mm -hmm. does uh, you know over time it kind of develops this sort of herbaceous greenness um in the wine that i personally really enjoy um i had it with um to-go food from the local brazilian restaurant rosalitas yes uh, rosita's or rosalitas uh, rosalia's I think rosalia's that's right they say it but yeah it was really fantastic you know, if it they say if it grows together, it goes together, and yeah. maybe just on the same continent is the closest we can do. Right yeah, now. exactly. <laughs> well, and I mean, there's parts of Toronto's country that's close to Brazil, I guess, if we think about it. So, you know, just a little bit about Cava itself. Cava is the sparkling wine that comes from Spain. Um, so we, you know, us wine people sometimes get our feathers up when people call things wrong. Sometimes, one of my big things is sparkling wine. Because I'm like, okay, there's there's a lot of differences, and the differences mean something. It's mm -hmm. not like it just it's just a word. It's just words you can throw around. But like you know, champagne versus cremants versus yeah. cavas versus sparkling wine, and but this cava means it's coming from Spain. It's also a region of Spain, up there in in the northwest, or sorry, the northeast of Spain. I may have said that wrong earlier, but up in the northeast of Spain. So like, if you kind of think of Spain, in kind of american style it would be a new englander it would be up there in yeah. new york boston it's just it's just a couple of miles south of barcelona i believe yeah and so they on the labels will have kind of the same stuff that we've talked about with champagne brute sec double extra sec extra brute brute, brute natural and all that has to do with the sugar content this is a this is a brute which is up to 12 12 grams per liter and i think this one would be pretty low on that scale yeah I'm, I'm not getting a lot of rs sort of on this yeah you know the thing i really like about kava and, and one of this one's in particular is working in retail you know people come in and they'll say oh well i'll just take a prosecco because that's italian champagne yeah and i'm like no that's that's not true but we have we have uh kava which is made just like champagne except it's from france and so you get to have that that really brief you know educational moment mm -hmm. and you get to send them on uh you know at the door with with a, a bottle of wine that at least in this market is usually better than whatever the the mass market prosecco is right so. and it's usually a little bit cheaper sometimes yes usually um, kava kava's come kava's got really good prices i think this was like 12 bucks and i've seen it on sale for like 10 
mm-hmm. which will beat prices on Proseccos. And I, I I would put this up against most Proseccos any, any day of the week. Absolutely. And the, the method that this is made is that same. It's the same as champagne. So it follows those same steps we've talked about where you make your wine, you make the still wine, blend it together to make your cuvee, put the extra bubbly, extra yeast in it to give you the bubble in the bottle, lay the bottle down for a while, you know, do the wonderful process and shoot it out. I really want to do that one day, by the way, <laughs> like hand disgorge. Cause <laughs> I just, I don't know. I just, every time I see a video of people like hand disgorging <laughs> champagne and stuff, it looks it looks fun. To it me. looks incredibly messy. Yeah, that too. But I would be okay being covered in champagne. Not gonna lie. And then um, you know they put the 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 little liquor de expression or the little sugar sugar wine back in, and then they cap it and cork it and send it out the door. So this is a this is really good. And I agree with you. You know, I'm I've been thinking about the beef in this, and I think there the beef was sous vide with some rosemary and garlic. And that rosemary herbiness really comes through in the meat itself. And I think that kind of is what's what connects it to this wine. That mm-hmm. Rosemary connects with the strawberry. And then it's not overly beefy. Plus the fat helps to kind of cut through and, and marry it together. What do you think about I, that? I'm, I'm totally feeling you. The, the beef is, it's it's just cooked perfectly mm. so good job on that but Thank you no i think you're you're absolutely right you can really tell the the rosemary the aromatics you put in there work with a really aromatic wine um they're they're i don't want to say they're contrasting note mm-hmm. but they're they're abutting notes right they're, they're not quite complementary they're not quite contrasting they just sort of they meet each other in the middle in a really nice really like almost sort of diplomatic kind of way right it's almost like they're the the minor chords it's kind of yeah. like the minor, the minor stuff of it for the for our music people. But well, I think are you ready to? You want to head on to the Muscat? Sure, absolutely. So once again, Seth is gonna go ahead and tell us what he is, what he brought for us, and then what we're gonna pair with it. I see you digging into samosas, by the way. Yeah. So like I said, this is the 2020 vintage of um of a Willamette Valley Muscat from Teutonic Wine Company. You know, it's it's 10.58 percent alcohol. Which I always get excited by any wine under like twelve <laughs> percent. Yeah, you and I are both on that same. When it comes to white wine, we we don't want a whole big, a whole big, a lot of alcohol in it. We Not want at all. Low, low ones. Yeah. So this was actually bottled just in February of this year. February, yeah, I was going to say twenty eleven. That's um, crazy. just a day after my birthday. Oh. Um, For those of you, you can send a well, well wisher, please. But yeah, this is from Teutonic Wine Company. They're one of my favorite. Uh, wineries in Oregon right now. I've tried several times to join the wine club and they choose to follow the law and not ship me wine here, which is very disappointing. That is disappointing. I may have a, may, we may have a workaround we can um, talk about. Well, I, I thankfully was able to talk to a uh, friend that works for a distributor and now their wines are available here in the state. Oh, so awesome. You can, you can find them at stores all over the state. Um, they've got lots of fantastic Pinot Noirs, um, lots of fantastic white wines, a fantastic Riesling called Candy Mushroom that you can find, I think, nationally. So wherever you are listening to from, go out, grab it. It is truly fantastic. Awesome. So what what are the food? What's the food you got again? Yeah. So we've got that triple cream brie. We've got some fresh made guacamole and chips. We've got some fried cranbrangoons from uh, Fantastic China. If anyone is listening from Little Rock, go mm-hmm. love, love Fantastic China. That's the one in the Heights, right? Yes. Okay. And then we've got from another local restaurant, Star of India. We've got some some samosa chat. So that's samosas covered with chutney and chickpeas and and uh, yogurt and all these spices. And I think that's actually going to be a really interesting pairing. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be really fun. Well, I was very worried about pairings in general with this wine. Why is that? Well, it had been I had not tasted this vintage of the wine, okay. and so that always just makes me a little nervous and. You know, Muscat is just not, it's not common. There's not a lot of them here in Arkansas. There's not a lot of them. There's just not a lot of them made out there in the world. And so I was very, uh, you know, I looked online to see what people did. And a lot of people were doing very traditional Alsatian or German foods. And well, that's fine. We could have done that. Right. But I just really wanted to take it a little bit further. And so I had some sausages, nobody to go. And then I, I opened the wine earlier this afternoon, maybe about five or six hours ago 
and I was like, oh wow, this is amazing. Um, and and it has this beautiful, like slightly funky, sort of almost like geranium jasmine finish. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I want Indian food and I want Mexican food. <laughs> and yeah. so that's that's what kind of led me to guacamole and then the Indian food. And I was like, oh well, we should probably try some crab rangoon with this because it's crab rangoon why not why not um and i i think it's all it's all gonna work out i'm gonna let you kind of let me know how you think i did of but. course yeah so this is a this is a beautiful looking wine so it's like a it's a really pale straw color and it's got some of that goldeny um goldeny kind of green green in it that we talk about sometimes which has to do with ph level isn't that right I, I you can't say re- that with such confidence. I think <laughs> I, it must be true. Somebody, I can't remember. I think it was, I was doing some kind of training and they were like, oh yeah. So don't skip over secondary colors because it actually can tell you a little bit about the wine. Cause the pH, you know, anyway, that's the that's, pH of this wine is 3.05. Oh, oh, is that actually listed? It is. It's oh, on the tech sheet. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's a, it's a very sparse tech sheet, but that is one of the, the like pH. four things listed. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. But it's, it's really beautiful. And then the nose on it, it is like flower. It's so flower driven. Like if I was blinding this, my first thought would jump to Kurtzmuner mm-hmm. because it just has that like oily flower. Like you just walked into a flower shop, like into the cooler of a flower shop. And it's just, it has that beautiful, beautiful smell with that. And there's some lemony like lemon back there and it's even like lemon blossom but also like lemon zest and that wonderful oil like lemon oil you get when you're trying to peel a lemon or making cocktails and you have that it's just and then the palette it has weight a lot of weight to it Mm -hmm. more weight than i expected yeah it has a lot more weight especially given you know the alcohol you know we're not even at 11 Mm percent um to me that's kind of where I want my like Saturday afternoon, like I don't want to call it a, I hate to use the term patio pounder because I feel like that kind of reduces the hard work that went into making a wine like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but like this is what I want to drink for like seven hours on a Saturday afternoon. Yeah, this is like like I can start drinking this at brunch and go all the way till bedtime. Mm-hmm. Like it's so light, so refreshing. And so when we talk about weight, uh, we're talking about kind of how it feels on the palate. So if something's really thin, like wouldn't have a lot of weight, think of like water. Water wouldn't have a lot of weight on your palate, but a, but milk, milk has weight on your palate. It kind of sits there, coats it, covers it. So that's kind of what we're talking about when it comes to weight. How does it feel on your palate? What is, what's there? And then kind of what's left over. And so this isn't as it. It has that weight that I love because, you know, I mean, you know, I, I love Gehertzmeter. Uh, we are, we are we, brothers in that sense. We yes. are totally, we're totally on the Gehertzmeter train, in which I almost did, by the way, but I, I restrained myself. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's, that's too easy, Josh. Try something else. I think, I think I'm going to get a tattoo of like a Gehertzmeter great bunch. I love I think it. That'll be, <laughs> that may be one of my next tattoos. <laughs> Just, I love it so much. And I try and convert people all the time to it. Please don't. There's there's not enough Gewurztraminer out there. It's hard <laughs> enough to find good examples, so please please let the people not know about it. Well, we just told quite a few people. Josh is lying. I, I'm I'm so lying. He doesn't know what he's talking about at all. That Gewurztraminer we pa- pairing we did at Thanksgiving it was actually terrible. Terrible. We just, we just lied about it. Lied and said it was good. <laughs> but that, okay, so interesting thing about that. People don't buy it around here, so we can find older vintages of it, mm-hmm. which is really, really nice. I've got a 15 Trimbach Gehertzmeter sitting in my wine rack right now. Very nice. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to hold on to that for a while. But anyway, it has that, but it doesn't have that kind of sweet syrupiness that a Gehertzmeter does. And it's, I mean, it's, it's really, really good. Yeah, it's, it's much drier than your classic Gehertzmeter, which I think kind of is what lends itself to like these, you know, four really diverse, really divergent kinds of food. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got the guacamole, which of course is very, very fatty. And that to me really brought out the a green 
a green sort of like almost cilantro stimminess to the wine. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the you've got the the crab rangoon, which, you know, of course you have that sort of like crunch of it all, but you also have that really sort of lush like cream cheese and crab. I'm using air quotes <laughs> when I say crab. Um, <laughs> you know, the the sliced haddock or whatever they use for the imitation crab meat. But it, it also really works because there is still that that sort of like backbone of acid that really kind of like lifts and sort of spearheads through all of that rich cream cheese. And honestly, I think my favorite pairing is uh, is the Indian food. I think really? it's, I think it really, really works. You know, this Indian food is, is it's so aromatic and so light and all these beautiful like spices are kind of like coming together. And then you have this incredibly light and delicate wine. I think they're, they're really harmonious in a, in a way that I was honestly very, I wanted it to work out and I'm, I'm really happy that it did. Cause yeah. it was touching, it was touching go there for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I just did the crab and good. And you're right. That, that cream cheesiness, that creamy, that creaminess kind of goes with the wine and the air. It doesn't cover the aromatics, which I was kind of afraid that it was going to, you know, kind of cover over all those beautiful aromatics, but it really, it softens them. And that, fr- you know, the fried shell kind of lifts it, gives it a little bit of that kind of breadiness back to it. And, that was, that's really good. Yeah. I'm I'm really I'm really feeling all of this. Yeah. Which is great because I eat probably individually each of these things on a weekly basis. <laughs> I have the diet of about a twelve year old. Yeah. So yeah. Well, it right, works out well for me. I'm right there with you. So what's it tell us a little bit, what's it like to be a wine writer and kind of focusing in kind of that wine social media space? Because you have a really good social media presence. And you've stepped away from the wine a little bit recently in the pandemic and stepping away from, from retail. But what's that kind of like to be, to have that role in wine just as a younger, as a younger professional in our market? Sure. You know, I think the wine industry is at a really fantastic and interesting spot right now because, you know, social media makes the dialogue around wine as diverse and as inclusive as you could ever dream it to be and so if you want to have a conversation about whatever random you know middling you know thing you want you know you can get on instagram or twitter or a facebook group and you can find people who also want to have that conversation and so it's it's so easy now to be or at least to feel a part of this much wider like industry and and sort of this sort of like wine family you know but at the same time you know, when, when it comes to my writing, whether it was, you know, my monthly, my monthly columns or now my weekly columns, I always have to be very cognizant of, of knowing who my audience is. Right. You know, I'm writing for an audience of people that for the most part are buying a, on average, maybe a $10 bottle of wine. Um, you know, they're probably not going to go out there and buy, you know, first or second class Bordeaux's or <laughs> right. even Premier Cru, you know, <laughs> wines from France. And, and that's okay. There's right. nothing wrong with that. I was very surprised. Speaking to that point, maybe about a month or so ago, um, you did a wines to age mm-hmm. article. I was very surprised that you threw down the Vuv Clicquot Brut Rosé. Yes. Because of its price point. Uh, so why why did you kind of choose that one based on kind of what you just said, thinking about your readership? What kind of made you say, well, this one's so special that you need to take a chance on sure so i think i i think i mentioned the the, the vintage brut rose oh that's right so I vintage there and i think depending on where you're shopping in the state you can find either the 08 or i think the 12 vintage um personally i've had the eight mm-hmm. most recently and it was it was truly glorious i've never personally been a, a huge fan of that champagne house but this really made me consider them in in a whole new light yeah um but also when it comes to champagne, I would love to live in a world where we drank only exclusively grower champagne, oh. <laughs> um, you know, in, in that fantasy, you know, it's fantastic. But we also have to talk about, you know, we're, we're in this market. We have to think about what are people going to find? And if you're living in, you know, if you're living in Jonesboro in the northeast corner of Arkansas, well, that's Craighead County. You can't even buy wine there. Right. So if you're going to go to your nearest county line liquor store. Are you more likely to find, you know, a fantastic bottle of vintage Pierre Peters mm. or are you going to find a, a bottle of if? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, well, that makes sense. And, 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 you know, 
also if if I could do a article just on all of the fantastic champagnes, um, <laughs> you know, I would I would love to do that, and hopefully I will be a columnist long enough to circle back to that. But um, I, I try to keep in mind that you know my my palette informs what I write, but it's also just my palette. Right. I'm here to give you my insight and my my opinion, maybe more than some people want. Uh, <laughs> but it's also really important that people make their own way and discover their own things. You know, there are there are wines that I really dislike. There are really popular producers that I really dislike, and there are some even some more like nerdy niche producers that I really don't like their wines. Yeah. But my goal, I think, as a writer, is for you to never find that out. Mm, because yeah. my dislike of them is purely personal preference, not because they're doing anything actually wrong or actually bad. Right. And I don't think that I'm doing my readers or the drinkers of Arkansas a service if I let my own personal biases work my way in too deep. Okay, that makes sense. That's a really cool thing. And for the for anybody who is, you know, kind of getting into wine and you're intimidated by talking to somebody in a store. Like we said this plenty of times, a, a bunch of times, find somebody that you trust in a store. And, you know, one of the ways you can really trust somebody, or I've noticed that like you can build trust with somebody is when you tell them you don't like something. Yeah. Like having that conversation with somebody, it's like, Oh, well, what do you think of this one? I was like, well, I don't really like that. And then like one of the big boys from California or there's a couple of them out there that do really good or really well sold Pinot Noir. The crema is not all Pinot Noir. Mm-hmm. And so we, as the wine professionals can say, well, I don't like that wine. And the reason I don't like it is because it's not showing me what I want with a Pinot Noir. And here's why. But if you try this one, like the Lyoko is hundred percent in it. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you're like, well, if you try this Lyoko, which is hundred percent Pinot Noir, Try it and see what you like and then see see if there's a different. And I've noticed that that can really build those relationships just by being open, like you said, being open and honest about, hey, this is my taste. If if you like it, great. If yeah. you like what I don't like, awesome. Well, and, and I can't speak specifically to Lolo Crema because it's been a while since I've seen Tech Sheet. But, right. You know, one of my favorite things to do when I was working full time in retail was I would host a monthly Saturday afternoon tasting. And we'd taste eight to 10 wines, mm-hmm. but we would do them blind. And so mm-hmm. I would have them, I would have them bagged up. You would, you came to a lot of those and yeah. I would just pour them for you. And it was remarkable to see the way, the way the sales changed, yeah. you know, um, in this market, I always struggled to sell Riesling mm-hmm. until I put it in a paper bag and then I sold out in 30 minutes. <laughs> yep. um, and it just, it just really hit home i think what we probably already know as as people in industry is that so much of wine is perception yeah but i think it really opened you know our our customers eyes to the fact that what they think of a thing isn't necessarily you know the the truth of the thing you know what reason isn't always sweet or you know cabernet did not sell well when we did it blind i know but you know it's so well did and and that's that's just kind of how it is yeah it's it's interesting being in the world because you can have you get to have all those conversations with people, but you also get to kind of learn even the ner- like kind of like you said earlier, even some of those nerdy wines are not great. Yeah, I had a um, I I recently I was tasting a wine for a column um that has gotten a lot of love on sort of the hipster wine Instagram scene. And it was this cool, fun, natural wine, you know, has like the cool, funky hipster label. It's, it's going to be new to the market when it launches here. And, um, it was, I, I did not like it. I, it was, I don't, again, I don't think there was anything wrong with it. It was not flawed. Um, I just, I, I think it was just poor winemaking and, and honestly, probably it was is poor, poor vineyard decisions. Right. And so it's just trying to, to weed that out, um, from the. You know, I don't like it just because whatever right. reason. Well, and you and I have had kind of had um, discussions. We've never gotten an argument because you and I would never really get in an argument about it. Especially when I'm right. <laughs> about the. The pet nat? Pet nat. Yeah. About pet nats. Mm-hmm. About how, you know, you kind of think sometimes, not all the time, 
it is just them trying to play to the nerds and it's also a way to hide bad fruit yeah absolutely and so you and i kind of go back and forth because you don't really care for a whole lot of pet net there's a few i i am okay. saying that wrong i love pet net as a category i will not tolerate poor winemaking and what I and things that I view are just trying to pull one over on customers. Okay. So there are a few pet nets out there. I won't name a sin in point, but I'm sure anyone can can think of a few examples in whatever category you want to, where I just think, you know, a company is trying to make money off of people who don't know better. I think pet net is the the buzzword right now. Yeah. I <laughs> truly I believe if if pet net has filtered its way to Arkansas, it is the buzzword <laughs> right now. <laughs> And and I think yeah I think PetNet is a way to make you know some sort of economic viability from underripe fruit. Um, yeah. And I as as a business owner I understand why you would want to do that, but I also you know I struggle with the fact that you're charging someone thirty five dollars for a wine that you knew the day you got the fruit wasn't gonna wasn't up to snuff. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I I do have I do take some issue with that. But for every pet net that I don't like, there's like twelve that I think are incredibly well made. Right. So I, I'm not trying to disparage the whole category. Right, but that. it but it's something that you and I kind of go back and forth about because I really enjoy pet net, and I think I think well done pet nets are good. I think they have kind of like you said, they have a time and place where I kind of draw the line, even if it's even if it's not great fruit. And they're making this thing out of it. It can still taste good, but don't charge me $40 for it. Yeah. And that's the thing I think we can kind of both agree on is when you, if, if it's $10 and it's bad fruit and it tastes, tastes pretty good, you know, that's more acceptable. Mm-hmm. But if you're trying to charge me normal prices or something like twice a bottle of this Cava, mm-hmm. no. Well, and again, I think we have to put our business marketing hat on because yeah. if I sell you the $10 bottle, how do I come back next percentage and tell you that it's now worth $30? Yeah. And that's or the, how do I sell my, my other label that's worth $30 if I've also got this other one that's worth 10 Right. And that is, you're right. Because I don't come from a marketing background. That it, That is kind of the hard thing uh, when it comes to that. So I we've both been chatting a great deal and I love this conversation, but I kind of want to turn it back to the food for a second. Yes. So I'm not a big spice person. Okay. Spice, <laughs> spice hits me. Like, you know, it, I'm, I'm a wuss. My dad's made fun of me plenty for this. So I, I kind of agree with you. The samosa in the wine is really, really good. But for me, it's that weight that covers the spice. Okay. Because the spice starts to hit me and I take a drink of the wine. I'm like, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now it's calmed down and the aromatics go really well with the aromatics of, of the curry. People don't sleep on white wine and Indian food. It's it's really good. Rieslings are also really good because mm-hmm. they have you can get some sweetness, which will also cover that. But I think I think a Gerhardsmeter would be good with this too. Of course, you can. I mean, that. but it's just that aromaticness. The guacamole, I agree with you, kind of brings out that green, that kind of greeniness to it. Um, more like kind of cut grass or mm-hmm. um, the stem. Like when you go and cut flowers, you get mm-hmm. that kind of stemmy smell. That's me, on your hand. It reminds me of cilantro stems. Yeah. And it almost, I feel like this isn't necessarily a, a bad thing. It's just an interesting reaction to the wine. The wine turns much more into something that is more Chenin-like. Okay. Than, than Muscat for me. It's almost not not like that stony braciness of, of like a Sancer or anything like that. But there's that like almost that woolenness that you can sometimes get with like Sauvignon. Okay. So more like it kind of takes a little bit of. A little bit of fruit that's in there and that and the flower and kind of desiccates it a little bit, kind of gets it bruised mm-hmm. in. Yeah. Like it's a little bit past its prime. It still has that smell, but it's starting to kind of turn, for lack of a better word, rot a little bit. Yeah. In a good way. And I kind of agree with that. And then you tried something that I haven't tried yet that you told me was really good. What yes, was that? The um the polenta. I mean, again, I'm here for carbs just in any <laughs> shape or form. But like you know they've rich. It's really rich polenta. You know you said you did it with the um with the beef tallow or the the yeah the fat. fat that I rendered out from them. And so like I think that with this really light aromatic delicate white wine is is really surprising. That I think that actually might be my favorite pairing of the night. Yeah. So that 
what it does is it kind of it kind of cuts out that weight on the palate and leaves that bright, fresh, aromatic flavor and all those wonderful aromatics are still there and brings out more um more citrus to me. Kind of brings out brings forward the lemon, the lime, more of actual like juice rather than earlier we were talking about zest. Kind of goes there. Yeah, this reminds me of oh I'm I'm completely blanking on the name, but it's a it's a brand of cleaning soap that is very popular. You'll find it at Target, Whole Foods, all the things. Uh, Mrs. Myers. That's what okay. The Mrs. Myers geranium scent. Okay. That is exactly what this reminds me of. Uh, it's it's it almost in my mind. It just it almost tastes soapy when I try it with with the polenta. But I mean that in like the best way, not right. in the, like icky cilantro way. This is you know wine nerd, wine nerd talk here. Yeah. You know we're getting we're getting into those we're getting into those nerdy terms. Well, you know this is really good. So. Once again, Seth, go ahead. Before we jump into the blind, tell us, tell us where we can like follow you in a column. What's your Instagram handle? How can people kind of follow you and see what you've got going on in the wine world? Absolutely. So you can find my writings weekly in the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. It's in the Wednesday digital edition and their just website. And actually, um, yesterday in the timeline in which this podcast comes out, a new column will have just come out that actually features a wine recommendation from you, Josh. Ooh. I don't know what that it's wine gonna, recommendation it's be is this, yet. It's going to be this one. That's why I went ahead and did this one. Yeah. That's going to be my recommendation. A lovely pick. Yeah. A lovely pick. So yeah, you can see me there every Wednesday. And I usually always also post that onto my social medias. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Seth E as an elephant Barlow, Seth E Barlow on Instagram. Or you can always just send me your wine questions. Do you have a, a bone to pick? And maybe I'll feature it in a column. That's uh, Seth E Barlow wine at gmail.com. Awesome. So, all right, well, we're going to go ahead and get the blind up and I'm going to see if I can figure out what Seth brought. Right. All right. So Seth, Seth's got this board up and after this tasting, we've got to talk about this during, during while Seth was pouring this, we got to talk about this wine cocktail that Teutonic, <laughs> Teutonic talks about because it's just, it's too good to pass up. But once again, I'm going to go ahead and do my tasting. I am using a tasting sheet, which was created by my former boss, Jennifer Hendrickson, who is now working at Domain Serene out in Oregon as one of their so director of wine education and, and hospitality. And all right, here we go. This now this is level three testable, right? Correct. Okay, cool. So now I have my current headspace. So this is a red wine. Uh, there's no evidence of gas or sediment in it. And it is a ruby color. Almost a kind of actually magenta y color. Kind of goes out to that nice little light watery meniscus. Doesn't really show any signs of bricking or aging major aging to it on the nose it's a clean wine it's a little bit more fruit forward uh but it's got like a it's almost like you've got a fistful of like blackberries and blueberries kind of there yeah you've got that kind of fistful of blackberries blueberries but you also got like some of that earthy kind of earthy simminess to it so there's a little bit of that vegetal quality definitely some like violets and uh kind of dark purple purple flowers going on you said you opened this what about seven hours ago? Is um, that right? It was maybe one o'clock. Okay, yeah. So about six about six hours ago. It has not changed very much. Okay. It's not presenting a whole lot to me, besides kind of what I'm talking about. There's a little bit of that like spicy earthiness in there. There's no like jumping notes of earth or barn or thing things things of that things of that nature. So I'm gonna go ahead and give it a give it a taste and talk about it more. This is a good taste in wine. The Acid, I say, is kind of medium, medium plus. Alcohol is medium, not really that high. Maybe medium plus. Tannins are pretty low. I'd say medium. There's the body is a little bit lean on it, but once again, still getting a lot of that, a lot of that good fruit, that kind of blackberry, blueberry. I'm gonna move those tannins up to to medium plus. They're there. <laughs> they're there a little bit more prevalent now that I'm kind of tasting. I found it around the side of my mouth now. Uh, but definitely, definitely a little bit more those blackberry, black cherry, um, not really cassisiness, but that blueberry, violety kind of flavors. Still, that greeniness is still a little bit there, but there's not a whole lot of earth on this, uh, which I was almost expecting. Part of me wants to say it's not Bordeaux because it's Seth that poured it, and you just never know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you never know. I mean, you could. My cellar runs deep. <laughs> Like, break out of my comfort zone like still waters oh yeah those tans are edging more 
kind of now more toward high. I think the the creamy the the weight of that muscat is finally off my palate now. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I'll let it throw you. Yeah, those tannins are up there with kind of still those dark fruits. Definitely some some oak usage on this. You're getting some of those nice little baking spices. Just a touch of vanilla, so it's probably French oak. Not really getting the big balminess of American oak. It's definitely a very dry wine. The body on this is kind of medium texture. It's a little bit rounder. Not really lean. It's not heading more to that like super full, full flavor. Okay. No, let's try and figure out what this is. Okay. So, I mean, based on what I've everything I've said, I want to say that it's a new world wine. Tannins are throwing me for being a new world wine. I'm going to go ahead and jump and say this is going to be a new world wine. Uh, I'm going to throw out Zen, Merlot, uh, not really Cab Franc, not, um, it doesn't feel like a Cab Sav. Color seems a little bit wrong to be a, maybe a Syrah. Possible countries, this new world, we've got Australia, United States, about it. Kind of what I'm thinking is fairly, fairly young wine. It's not showing any of those major developments. It's, I mean, I want to, it almost tastes like a Pinot Noir, but everything else I tasted before that and said doesn't seem like Pinot Noir. It's the floralness. The floral, the floral of this wine is throwing me off for some reason. I need to taste more. All right. Let's go ahead and make a guess at what this wine is. Give it to me. I'm going to say this is New World Wine. I'm going to say it is from America. I'm going to say it's from California. Let me taste it. If I'm wrong on this, I'm never going to live it down. I'm going to think, I'm going to say it's a Merlot from Washington. It just has that like earthy bite in the. This, some, there's something I can't put my finger on that, which always kind of takes me to Merlot. So I'm going to say it's a Washington Merlot 2017. Kind of hard to say. Okay. All right. Well, so Seth, I want to thank you very much for being on this episode. This was absolutely so much fun. We'll definitely have to do this again because you are the Chardonnay guy. I am. We're going to have to have you on to try and turn my dad and myself to Chardonnay. I cannot wait. We're going to have to, we're going to figure out how to do that. And, um, but it's been really great. It's been really, really great to have you on. Once again, Seth is our local wine writer here. Find, you can find him with the Arkansas Democrat Gazette every Wednesday, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Every Wednesday, his column comes out called Bottle Shots. Bottle Shots, that's right. Bottle Shots. And if you aren't around aren't around Arkansas or you don't subscribe to the paper, paper Arkansas Online. ArkansasOnline.com. I knew I was going to get it wrong. <laughs> ArkansasOnline.com. Follow him on the social media. He's Seth. He is an elephant Barlow. He has some great content coming out there. Throw him his question. If you have questions for him, Seth Wine. Seth E. Barlow Wine at gmail.com. Yeah. Or message me on Instagram or send me a telegram or a smoke signal carrier <laughs> pigeon. I'll find it. Yeah. And what, and so this was this was a great episode. So let's talk real quick before we go. What has been your favorite thing with on each plate? Okay. So for the bubbles, I think the um, polenta. Okay. Stint like just awesome pairing. I have revisited it a couple times. It is neck and neck with the polenta versus the Indian food with the muscat. I I think the for me the samosa chat just wins it yeah. by by just a nose. But um, honestly, I would be so stoked to eat both of those things again. Yeah, I, I'm I'm exactly in the same pairings with you. You know the that polenta with the bubbles was fantastic, and the that er, the aromatics went so well with that the samosa chat which was just fantastic and well actually i will say the pairing that i am most excited about is um the muscat with a can of pbr um for <laughs> this winier oh cocktail. my gosh so yeah so this is a cocktail seth was telling me about it on so teutonic is one of those like fun kitschy they don't take themselves too seriously right you and love that about them on on their website this is, they, this is right on their tech sheet after they list, you know, the RS, the TA, the, the PH, all of those things. They they give you the uh, directions for a cocktail they call the Wineer. So they say mix 50-50 Muscat and Rainier beer, which I don't think we can get here in Arkansas. Yeah, we can. Oh, we can? Okay. Yeah, it came in maybe three or four years ago. Oh, can you tell him about the beer guy? <laughs> um, well, they, well, they also say if you don't get Rainier, um, you know, PBR works wonders. So, so you understand the level of beer we're talking about. Yes. 
Um, so they say, you know, pour them both 50-50 into a frosty mug and it makes for an ultimate porch pounding drink on a hot summer's day. And if you if, <laughs> please know that you will find me next Sunday at a crawfish boil in my backyard drinking copious amounts of that. Yeah. And if I'm there, I will definitely have to at least try it once. And then I may switch over to, you know, something else. How bad could it be? Yeah, well, well, you say that. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? All right. But anyway, Seth, I want to thank you again for being on the episode. So next week, Dad has messaged me, and we're going to be doing foreign beers. So beers that are not from the United States. In the message, he told me that he's going to be the in-stock Icelandic toasted porter. And I'm going to be doing the Samuel Smith's organic handcrafted strawberry fruit ale going to be lots of fun so make sure you come back and listen to us next week for our next beer episode and it's going to be a great time dad will finally be back from his jaunt off into you know the islands very like, jealous yeah we're all we're all very jealous of john back a lot of rum i hope uh maybe i don't know he i don't know if st martin anyway he might be bringing rum mom may not let him <laughs> <laughs> But it'll be it'll be a good time, and we're really we're really looking forward to it. Seth, thank you for being on. Thank you once again. Give us a follow on your favorite podcast platform. You know we're on all of them out there. You can even probably call us out on Alexa. You know, so give a give us a holler. Uh, we're you know at Acquired Tastings on Instagram. That's where we're most active. But we are also on Facebook and Twitter. And I'm Josh Mills. Thank you for coming, and we'll see you next time.